Welcome to Zero Broke Girls. I'm Jules. And I'm Joe. We started Zero Broke Girls as a way to empower women to take control of their money. We think the first step is to simply start talking about it. So that's what we're going to do. We're so grateful you've joined us for this week's episode. Let's get started. Hey guys, thanks so much for joining us today where we are talking with Catherine. Catherine is a CEO of Cultivate and Evolve Financial, where she assists, guides, and educates her clients in building wealth through real estate. She is an award-winning mortgage professional with over 12 years in the industry. Catherine has assisted with funding over $200 million over her career. She has a strong passion for financial literacy and loves helping people with their home ownership goals through building knowledge and a focused plan. For those of you who don't know, a mortgage professional acts as an intermediary between someone looking to purchase a home and potential lenders. You don't need to use a mortgage broker when purchasing a home, but they can save you a lot of money, time, and effort in the process. Today, Catherine walks through the steps of purchasing a home, some of the uncomfortable conversations that are required, as well as differences she notices between some of her men and women clients. If home ownership is your goal, we suggest sticking around until the very end, where Catherine spends about 10 minutes walking through the entire process of purchasing a home from start to finish. We hope you enjoy this week's episode with Catherine. Welcome. Uh, thanks for having me. I'm excited. And we are excited to have you. So if we just jump right in, can you tell us a little bit about how you became involved in the mortgage industry and how you became a mortgage professional? Yeah, for sure. So back in 2009, I decided to go about starting my own MIC, which is like a mortgage investment corporation. So just lending money privately, funding private mortgages and so forth. And then I actually started that company, funded my own loans, lent out other people's money, um, and built about a half a million dollar portfolio. And then that helped fund my way through university, which was awesome. And then once I finished my degree in finance, decided to complete my mortgage brokers course in my final term because I wanted to start my own brokerage and did the course through Sauter out here in Vancouver and then started mortgage brokering here in the Okanagan. And I was the youngest broker at our firm. And I live in a community that's very um, much, um, it's who you know, kind of kind of mentality and being 21 and female and a male-dominated at the time industry. I struggled at getting my business started. So I ended up moving down to the lower mainland, working within a team-based setting, and then Upon gaining a couple of years experience and knowledge, kind of um, branching out on my own and launching Mortgage by Catherine in 2015. Wow. That's very impressive. And even more recently, now you started Cultivate and Evolve Financial to even better assist your clients in building wealth through real estate. So... One of the reasons that Joe and I have started this podcast is because we believe that people find it really uncomfortable to talk about money. And specifically, as women, we feel like we aren't talking about money enough. So we're making a better effort to have these uncomfortable discussions and talk about money to try and normalize the conversation about money. In your role, you would find yourself in uncomfortable situations and having these uncomfortable conversations. So can you tell us a little bit about the uncomfortable conversations you would need to have in your role and how you approach some of those uncomfortable conversations? 
Yeah, so it's it's funny because I've been thinking about this over the last couple of days since we spoke, and I it's interesting because every day those uncomfortable conversations come up, and I find that I kind of get the inner workings of both sides. It's everything from not only assets, it's assets, dreams, kind of their hopes of what they want to do, what people are comfortable with spending alongside going through the more difficult, challenging times as well. Um, so some of the uncomfortable conversations that I deal with on a day-to-day -day with existing clients and new clients is everything from divorce to separation. Um, when unmarried couples are, and it's different in different provinces and around the world, so I'm not going to specific to one place, but if you're buying a property with someone who isn't a related party, making sure you have the appropriate doc documentation to protect your investment and your portion of investment, because a lot of people don't think through worst case, but when the worst case happens, the first person they call is me. <laughs> if I don't prepare them up front, then it can result in a really more uncomfortable situation than talking about it at the beginning. And so everything from divorce, bankruptcy is a big one. So people that are kind of, especially now kind of discussing their options in terms of do we refinance or I'm in arrears on my, on my car payments. Should I just write it off or should I refinance my home or I can't afford my home? All of these different things that arise. Um, a big one with couples that's an uncomfortable topic that comes up a lot. Um, is different spending patterns, saving patterns, and income. So I find a lot of the time, and I know this will be of interest to you guys, that I find a lot of clients that have large credit card debt also have large income. So something in relation to that, and I don't have the exact stat for it, I could go through and find it, but something that I find really interesting with that is having that discussion with couples that maybe have never discuss their finances. Like a lot of people come to me to talk about buying a home before they actually sit down and say, hey, I make this much. Hey, I make this much. What's kind of the plan, right? I mean, how do you respond to that when they talk to you about it before they talk to each other? You're almost a little bit like a counselor. <laughs> yeah. So it's really interesting. So I've actually moved my entire practice virtual and I've been virtual for a long time because I've had clients across the country and just always wanted to work remotely. So I try to get everybody on the call together and I, I go through a number of questions before we even get to income in terms of like lots of clients. I'll go through like, what are you actually comfortable with spending? Like, what do you spend on a monthly basis now? And depending on the stage of where they're at, we'll kind of go through liability. Sometimes you can tell they don't want to talk about it. So I'll step away from the topic, go back to discussing kind of like homeownership goals and so forth, and then try to have a private discussion with those in terms of their debts and ensure everybody's comfortable with talking about what their liabilities actually are. Because you don't need to disclose to the person you're acquiring a property with that you have 25000 in credit card debt if you don't want to, right? But if they're open to the discussion, kind of going through a financial plan that, hey, you have a hundred grand saved to put 20% down on a home, but you have 75,000 in unsecured debt at anywhere from 5% to 21%, we'd be better off putting less down, paying out all those debts and aggressively saving the additional capital, right? So there's lots of ways to look at it. I think the conversation is kind of judging it on a case-by-case -case basis, but it's it's uncomfortable, but a lot of the time they're open to discussing it. I find like the number one thing I try to do with that is just be compassionate to them. Like just understand and make them realize like you're not alone. Like you're not the only person that has credit card debt, right? And do they, do they share with you why the hesitation, right? Is it 
Is it that they're embarrassed? Is it that they just don't know how to talk about it? What do you find? Both, because sometimes it comes as a, as a surprise to their spouse, right? If you haven't been telling your spouse, and I try to, to tell people that like, no matter what the stage in home ownership you're in, whether it's like a dream and you're just starting to talk about it, or you're in a relationship, you decided like, hey, we want to move in together in two years time. And you're beginning that plan, like have the conversation with like a mortgage professional like now, because you might find out that I've had so many clients not talk about their debt. And then they've saved their down payment. And then they come to me and they've saved this money, but they put everything on credit and they haven't made a payment on credit except for the minimum payment. And their credit score has gone from 800 to 600. And now they don't qualify. And they went, well, we were saving for the down payment. So I was concentrating on that and not paying down my debts. All connected. Yeah. And then this, then partners get really upset with each other. Like they'll, like it can cause disagreements. It can cause them not to buy together. Like sometimes it results in people deciding that like, maybe this isn't what I wanted, right? Like maybe we have to reevaluate things and it's, it's a stressful conversation, but I think it's important to, to have. Of course. Definitely. And empathy would be so key for that. Do you notice any differences when you're working with women clients as compared to your men clients? A lot of the conversations that I have with my female buyers when they're when they're either single, divorced, widowed, or so forth, right? And they come to me on their own. Um, a lot of the time, the first conversation is like assessing their level of comfort, um, getting a sense of what their knowledge is, giving them the educational tools, going through kind of a needs analysis of like their feelings and emotions and thoughts towards it, because we are more emotionally driven beings just overall, right, in terms of kind of the, the approach of, of learning um, and going through those factors first. I find that approach works really well with my female buyers. And a lot of them are more conservative in terms of what they're willing to do and in terms of budgeting and planning of like what they're actually comfortable with in terms of buying on their own when they're coming from more of a, a single stance, right? And we're having been through past relationships. Whereas I find with my, and this might be a bit biased in terms of the approach because a lot of my male buyers are either self-employed business owners or in the tech engineering sectors is kind of a major sector of my client base is where they where they're from and so because of that a lot of them are more numbers based we don't have the emotional dialogue up front in terms of what are their feelings, emotions towards home ownership? What does it mean to them? What are their feelings surrounding it? Because they don't want to get into that at that stage. The majority, right? I'll still bring it up. And if they just want to pass by um, and they're more numbers focused, which I'm very numbers focused. So I find with them, I'll kind of go through a variety of solutions of like renting versus owning and talking more about kind of the interest savings, a cost analysis in terms of um, the benefits of buying now versus 12 months from now, um, saving. I had this conversation today with with a, a potential client who was asking questions in terms of, hey, like I was saving for 20%, but right now I have 5%. Like, What's your recommendation for me, right? And we kind of ran quickly a cost analysis on buying now with 5% down, paying a premium versus waiting another 12 to 24 months to buy and buying with the factor of appreciation and inflation and rental costs and savings versus paying that premium. And for my predominantly male clients in that have that approach to thinking, they want to come from a point of like the numbers and dollars and cents and what the savings is, and also interest rate driven. So more driven in terms of rate, 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 
and building kind of a projected plan going forward and what's their maximum qualification. So, oh, well, like what's the maximum mortgage I can get? Can I get 600,000? Can I get 700,000? Whereas I try to pull them back from that, but that's kind of the single mindset and it might be industry specific to be to be honest. Yeah, I know I get the not wanting to overgeneralize, but I do think you brought up quite a few interesting points. And I do agree that women are generally overall more emotionally driven. So I think it's really cool that you've noticed that and you've been able to target your services to be in line with what your clients would need from you. I think so much of the financial sector is numbers first and based on numbers. And I think it can be really uncomfortable for people, specifically women, if they don't get that type of service. So I think it would be so beneficial if more services were able to cater the way you have. The other thing that you said, Catherine, that I found really interesting was around timing and your particular client who wanted to save for 20% only had five and you kind of looked at that, you know, cost assessment over a few years. Because I mean, I know at least with my friends, um, a lot of them have very good jobs. They, They make very good money, but real estate where they live is so expensive. And for someone who doesn't have money somewhere that they can leverage and they're saving while paying rent, right? it can be overwhelming and very daunting to think about being able to own a home by themselves. And I think a lot of people, I know I was in this situation prior to meeting my now husband where I was living in a large city that, you know, a condo's over $500,000 and you're, you're renting and your rent is a few hundred thousand or a few thousand dollars a month. And you're thinking, how can I ever save by myself a hundred plus thousand dollars for a down payment and you go online to like the bank calculators, you're like, okay, you know, what's the down payment at this percent? What's the down payment at this percent? And it's like, whatever the interest rates are, but it would have never occurred to me at that phase in my life that there may be other options or there may be an ability for me to get into the market sooner in a different way to at least benefit from it in some capacity. Um, So I find that piece of it that you just said really interesting. On that note, what would you, based on everything you know, what would you say to people in that situation who are saving, who can't yet afford a down payment, who are worried about whether or if they can get into the market, given where housing prices are in some of the bigger cities? What would you say to them? I think that the biggest factor, because I have that conversation a lot, like a lot of my clients are in the lower mainland in British Columbia, alongside like Toronto, Ottawa regions, and the prices are high, right? Mm-hmm. So when we kind of look at home ownership, that it's it's one of those items that, with that situation, it's worth evaluating on a scenario basis to see kind of where they stand. A lot of the lenders, so it's this year came out with new products, um, such as a cashback incentive loan. So they were offering one of my go-to non-bank lenders, who's fantastic, like MCAP came out with something called the cashback incentive mortgage. Um, so therefore they offer up to 3% cashback on the mortgage, which after having your mortgage for five years is considered fully paid for. So you pay like a slightly premium rate, but you're getting 3% cashback at closing to help with those closing costs, right? So oh, mortgages are going to become like credit card rewards. Exactly. In like that sense, but it's a lot of money. Like I have some clients that were still like six or eight months away in this fall, 
who couldn't afford because of their car loan and their student loan. But if we use the cash back, we got them into a house before the market soared here again in the fall and went into like multiple offer scenarios because they bought kind of in the lull in the summertime because they took advantage of it, right? So consolidating it not into the mortgage because it doesn't become part of the mortgage. It's just your rate goes from like the mid ones to the low to mid twos, right? So your rate's still competitive in, in kind of like a historical state, but it's kind of making the options more available. I think something that's really got to be considered going forward and the government rolled out the program last year with the first time homebuyers incentive program, which helps people in smaller demographics, but isn't that helpful in larger centers because they, they maxed out at 500,000, right? They've now increased it to 750, but the qualifying parameters are still quite limited for those who will qualify, right? And this year, well, last year alone, I did four. Wow. It's like 5% of my business took advantage of the program. So it wasn't a large scale of people that were actually able to take advantage of it, even, even though the program was set up to help more people purchase homes. The way it was structured didn't really actually like help. So I think we're working as like a federal board to try to come up with more incentivized programs to help people get into the market because the cost of rent at this stage in relation to income and the ability to actually save the down payment is becoming more and more unrealistic, right? right. So yeah. a lot of clients are turning towards gifted funds. A lot of clients are looking at like borrowed down payment solutions, which can be considered to cashback alternatives to help with closing costs that can't be used for down payment, but for closing costs and even looking at kind of out of the box solutions in terms of like what else is available, right? If you qualify for incentive programs, utilizing them, but I'd say the majority of my first time homebuyer clients are having the conversation with their families to determine if a gift is an option because otherwise they might never get in. I had a discussion with probably four or five different clients this week about should we buy this spring? Should we save for another year? We're going to move into another condo. We're going from $2,000 a month to $2,400. Well, there goes $400 you were saving, right? It's now gone because you're now putting it towards the rent, right? So right. it's not that home ownership is always the best solution for everybody and it's got to be the right decision for you. And there's lots of investment options and drivers, but I think that the biggest factor right now people are turning to is speaking with family and kind of building out a plan to be able to actually get in a position that they can, they can buy because down payment savings is like not something a lot of people have now, right? Yeah, no, for sure. You mentioned kind of refinancing or restructuring. Do you often, I guess, I mean, as life events happen, I can't even imagine this past year, do you re-engage with those customers and do that often? Are you seeing it more frequently now, given what's happening with COVID? What are you, what kind of trends are you seeing these days? I do try to do engagements on an annual basis um, in terms of actual touch points and face-to-face over Zoom, just 30 minutes to kind of go through. Here's where rates are now. Here's what your rate is. Here's your payment. Your renewal might be in a year or two years time. Rates are anticipated to climb. Can we make a lump sum payment? Should we be putting more in your investments? Has there been any changes to your financial picture? Do you have any additional debt? If so, should we look at consolidating it so that they're taking advantage of the rate environment? And so I get a lot of that and I got get a lot of my clients coming back to me with family and friends who aren't having that experience elsewhere. So I've had a lot of that over the past year. I'm literally sitting here like no one has ever asked me any of those questions. 
the more you can connect, the better. And I think it's something of like looking at the scope with people to kind of get an overall picture of what they're doing, what they're not doing, and then reassessing. Because I've even had clients come to me as, as late as like today, I had a conversation with somebody, um, uncomfortable conversation, as we're seeing lots of like COVID splits are occurring, right? And so having the discussion in terms of like help, what do we do? We locked into a term. We didn't anticipate this to happen. We didn't think that we would separate. Oh, well, we're locked into this for five years. So we're going to have to hold this for five years. And I was like, well, has anyone talked to you about porting your mortgage or having it assumed by a subsequent buyer? Or have we talked about what the penalty would be? They didn't even know that was an option, right? And so there you are feeling stuck in a marriage or a relationship you're not like comfortable being in. You need more space for yourself and you feel trapped, right? Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, that's something that we're so interested to talk to women about in general is, I mean, it's one thing if you make more money than your partner, but if you make significantly less, you don't have kids, you split up, right? What happens? I think there's a lot of people who don't know their options, don't feel like they potentially have a path. And unless there's someone who's compassionate enough like yourself to explain to you what the options are, what the different paths are so you can make an informed decision, I think a lot of people just, it's very overwhelming, something like that. I mean... And I think there's a lot of judgment, Like there's so much judgment surrounding it. I had another discussion with somebody else today in a meeting and it's our first time meeting. And the conversation was just the amount of judgment she felt around not owning at her age and single mom of two. And it's just like an item where it's like, don't feel judged or misled by it. Like you're doing the best you can, you know, like you're not, we're going to get there. It might take more than a year. It might be two or three years, but like, don't feel kind of like kicked down by other people thinking that they're better than you just because they were able to get in before you were, you know? There is a lot of pressure and it's hard. Anything, we've said this before, but anything to do with finances, if you're buying a large purchase like a house or trying to pay off a large amount of debt, it takes time and it can be really hard to be patient when you look around and it seems like other people are buying homes or going on lavish vacations. But as long as you have a plan and you stick to it, you just need to know that you will get there. Stay focused on your own plan and try to not get distracted by what everyone else is doing. But it's hard. Yeah. Catherine, what surprised you the most about your industry when you got into it, whether it's your your experience in it, working in it, things your clients tell you that you didn't expect or ask you to help them with that maybe you weren't expecting either? Um, I think it's it's been a, a wild ride in the industry. Like since joining the industry, we've had more regulatory changes, fiscal policy, federal and provincial regulations surrounding our industry than ever before, really. Like in, we kind of did, one of our lender partners did kind of like a little scope of what things looked like over the last 10 years in the sector. And we've had more changes to rules, regulations, types of lending brackets, kind of due diligence, everything's changed, right? So I think a big thing has been like education and knowledge and like coming from that stance. I think one of the things that surprised me the most in in the industry is there's amazing brokers. And like, I'm so lucky to be surrounded by great people in the sector across the country and um, knowledgeable and caring, compassionate people. But it being within a sales sector, like hearing kind of your experience and what happened, like makes me sad because I think like I really have like built my business and like value proposition on financial literacy, education and financial freedom. And like financial freedom doesn't have to be mortgage freedom because people may use it as a tool for investment. But I think like 
knowing what you can do and being educated to make the decision that's best for you is like what we're meant to be here to guide you through, right? Because when I went to get a mortgage my first time, I went to the bank and I couldn't, they wouldn't help me. They had nothing to say to me. And I was like, well, I want this to change. Like I want to do something to change this sector for the better. And I think, I think something that surprised me is that once you become licensed, depending on the team to which you join, you're left to learn and grow on your, on your own. So it's one of those sectors where you can really make the business, whatever you choose for it to be. That's my goal is like to make a difference in, in the sector by providing financial literacy and really pushing with other industry professionals to seek a higher industry standard for, for that basis. That's amazing. The financial literacy is so important. And like we've covered before, because we're not taught it in school, so many people don't have the skills that they need. So as promised, at the end, you're going to talk through the whole process of home ownership, all the steps. But before we get into that, what advice or words of wisdom would you give to someone who is looking to get into real estate? The biggest item, like as a word of wisdom that like I wish I'd been given back when I like first looked into home ownership was speak to a professional first. Have your financial advisor, your accountant, your mortgage broker, your lawyer all communicate with one another to kind of help you build out a more synchronized plan for you so that everybody's in tune and just making sure that you're having these discussions. Even I have a lot of people come to me or call me and be like, oh, I've been thinking about buying a house for the last couple of years, but now I'm ready to actually buy. And it's like, well, we pull their credit, have a look at it. And they have a consumer proposal or a bankruptcy and they haven't rebuilt credit and nobody told them what to do. So I think the biggest thing is like never hesitate to reach out for help. That's what the, us as professionals are here to do and to help. And if you don't get the answer assistance that you need from the professional you reach out to, reach out to another one or contact the local board to, to ask those questions. Um, and I think that's the biggest piece of advice I'd give, whether you're just out of university and starting to build a plan to buy a home in the next three to five years. Like there's, it's never too early to kind of build out that plan and to kind of look into your options and start building goals and knowing like what income do I need to buy a home? Cause those conversations are worth having now versus securing a salary, securing a role, saving the funds and then finding out that you don't qualify. Right. So it's better to prepare from the get go. It's such great advice, and it's so important to ask the question. Some of our other guests have said the same thing. And if you don't get the answers or you're not getting the help that you should be getting, then find find somebody else. Find someone like Catherine, like some of our other guests, who are passionate about financial literacy and that want to help you learn. So I guess our last question, and this is something we ask everybody, and it doesn't have to be about anything related to your profession or anything we talked about. It can just be anything at all. What's one thing about money that you wish you knew earlier in life? I think the biggest thing I wish I'd known at a younger age would have been don't spend money until you have the money. Don't spend the money till you have the money or you have access to the money in the form of something at a loan because that would mean not even getting a mortgage. But in terms of like credit card spending and lines of credit and access to credit and so forth and overdraft. I think like the biggest thing at a young age, I wish I'd known more of in terms of non-essential goods, that if it isn't something that you require or need, don't buy it unless you can pay it off right away. 
Awesome. Well, thanks so much. Now, before we go, could you just spend some time walking through the process of buying a house? What are all the steps? Just kind of walking through the process. So the first time buyer, the process on like my end of what I try to do is have like an initial call. So during that call, like for myself, what I do with my clients, it's kind of go through as we've spoke about, but like a needs analysis, wants, goals, um, everything from first home. If they've got a plan, some people have a 10, 15 year plan. Um, some don't. Um, walking through with couples, I think this is the big one that I find with like joint couples, which is kind of interesting, is having that discussion about what both of them are comfortable with. What are you comfortable with on a monthly cost? Are you going to split things equally? What do you spend additionally on a monthly basis? What are you comfortable putting towards the home? Do you have other savings? All of those questions kind of come up in that initial discussion. Um, what other debts do you have? Are you willing to consider putting the property in one versus both of your names if you qualify to take advantage of the first-time buyer programs again? All of these things kind of set people up for success. Needs analysis kind of going through that. Then with the, my clients and I'd say with other brokers as well, they'll go through like an application. Um, I have all my application online and secured in Canada just so that they're actually inputting all the data themselves just to save on time for them and myself. So the time we spend together is on the important topics of conversation, such as programs for first-time buyers, um, the different incentive programs available. If they have questions at that stage about like fixed versus variable, I try to hold up the discussion in terms of rate until later because it's a lot. So I think like talking about rate, talking about terms, talking about products, once we've gathered the information, I've been able to do an analysis in terms of what we can do. Then we can talk about HELOCs and readvanceable mortgages and different strategies. But until we know what your financial picture is like, there's no point discussing something that you might not be able to get, right? So um, then kind of going in once you've got the application back, gathering documents. Um, some brokers do, some brokers don't um, gather all of the documents up front. So I choose to get everything up front, including job letters, to make sure what you're telling me you earn and what you believe your employer's guaranteed is actually what you're guaranteed because sometimes that differs. And, and especially with COVID, employers are hesitant to give certain details in a letter because they're unsure of the future of the, their business, right? And they want don't want to be held liable. Um, so that's a big one just to kind of get secured. Then once the pre-approval is completed, I can hold rates for clients. So if they decided that they're comfortable with a credit pull, we then can hold rates for up to 120 days. So it gives them that four-month window to be able to be shopping for properties or if they're refinancing, consider their options, kind of build out a financial plan with them in terms of, okay, does it make sense for us? Should we break our existing mortgage? Does it make sense to consolidate our debt? We've spoken to our accountant, our lawyer, our financial planner, and they all agree this is a good plan and route for us to go and then going forward. So not kind of rushing through the process. Then once people are pre-approved. We've determined their solutions, determined what they can do with the, the minimum down all the way up to 20, 30% down, depending on their financial stance. Um, I then, with their consent, provide communication with their realtor or connect them with the realtor, um, insurer and lawyer to make sure that everyone's in the loop in terms of, okay, say these two clients are now, Julia and Joe are looking for a house and they can qualify based on their comfort level <laughs> up to a house of say 500,000. They're now <laughs> planning to buy a property within the next three to four months. They are first time buyers, kind of giving an overview. They're hoping to get into X area. 
And then they're able to set you up with a search on the basis of your budget of what you're pre-qualified for. Because I'd never recommend people going and seeing a property before they know what they can afford. And although you might think you can afford it, the banks might not agree. And if the banks don't agree and you can't get the funds and you go look at properties at 600, but you only qualify for 400, the $400,000 homes aren't going to look very nice when you go and see them after you've seen the much bigger and more renovated home, right? Yeah, expectation settings. Yeah, exactly. And that's the biggest the biggest factor. Um, after that stage, then when people write offers, they'd go through the process of writing an offer. It'd be there to help them negotiate in terms of like what pricing they should be able to do and what their affordability is and monthly expenses on the basis of a range of price points. Um, supplying like pre-approved letters to support offers to increase strength just due to the current rate environment. At that stage, they'd then write our offer. The offer's accepted. At that stage, we'd then reconvene to go through solutions So, and repeat what the steps are. So, hey, next step's going to be getting an inspection done, finalizing your insurance, speaking with your legal counsel, having them review all the documents, um, getting an appraisal completed if required by the bank or if you decide to, and ensuring that all the due diligence is done. So if they want to include purchase plus improvements, kind of getting a quote for work to be done in the property, how much is that going to cost? Do they want to incorporate it into the mortgage or not? What does that look like? Um, and then going through, I choose to, and not everybody does, it's all different, um, supply my clients with their options. So some brokers will do the due diligence for you and decide on an option based on rate and term for you, whereas I choose to supply the options to my clients. So I supply normally a minimum of three different lender options and products and rates and state kind of the pros and cons to each and my reasoning behind supporting each and which one I would most likely recommend if I favor one over the others. But usually I just kind of leave the option to the clients. Then at that stage, scheduling a time over Zoom, 15 to 20 minutes, just to go through those options, walk through the steps again, make sure everyone's up to date, update any documents if necessary. And then once the decision's made in terms of, okay, we want to go forward with X lender with a cash bag with this amount down, we know what our payments are going to be. Uh, we then submit through for approval and we'd be looking at like usually like two business days for approval. Then appraisal would be ordered. Inspection would be ordered. All the due diligence and documents would be signed off. You'd review the commitment package with your broker, review all the ins and outs, make sure you're confident with everything, get everything signed off. Subjects are then removed. You're then firm on the purchase and supply the deposit check for your down payment. And then you'd just be waiting for the closing date. And during that period, you can shop further for home insurance, set up movers, change your postal address, get your utility set up, all of that. So that's kind of the stages. And then you get the keys. The keys. There's lots of steps. <laughs> there are lots of steps, but I think it's really important that people understand that and kind of really know it. I think so many people go into homeownership with the idea that they just go look at houses, they pick one and then they buy it. And it's so overwhelming if no one explains it to you first. It is overwhelming. It's, I mean, I don't think funny is the right word, but I mean, when we, I think back to when we got our mortgage, really the only question that I remember them asking was like fixed or variable. Like what kind of rate do you want? Everything you said at the beginning about all the different options, I didn't even know that those existed. Yeah, and and, and some people, and I've had it happen, and I well, I where people have laughed at me in the sector, like you spend so much time, and lots of brokers do. This is in no way saying that people don't, but I've had 
other brokers say that, that like you spend so much time in the beginning, like before you even know whether they're going to get a mortgage with you, like the way the mortgage sector works is we're compensated upon funding of the mortgage and it's fully disclosed across the country as well. It's, it equates to about 1% of a mortgage amount is kind of the industry standard. But if you're looking at it a lot, you're like, wow, like you spend like in the, my initial calls anywhere from like 30 minutes to an hour, depending on the complications of the situation. And then it's collecting an application. It's having another call to go through kind of scenarios and options. And then everything from budgeting to purchasing a property can be anywhere from like three to four weeks to like two to three years out. But I've already had those discussions up front. So nothing's coming as a surprise because the last thing I want is for something to be a surprise that, hey, you didn't know you had to pay taxes at the lawyers. Hey, you didn't know there's property transfer tax or land transfer tax in Ontario or what are conditions or what when do we do an inspection? Like all of these things that people don't really make you cognizant of is so important that I think that like that's a big, a big passionate part of it for me. It's so amazing that you're so passionate about financial literacy and you're helping educate your clients throughout the process. And thank you so much for spending the time with us today. It's been an amazing conversation. Don't forget to subscribe and join us every Tuesday for a money date wherever you listen to your podcast. Be sure to follow us on Instagram at Zero Broke Girls for details on upcoming episodes, how to find our guests and more. As always, if anything you hear sparks something you'd like to talk or learn about, let us know. We would absolutely love to hear from you. Thanks for joining us. We can't wait to chat next week.